Hello everyone and welcome to the Frogcast. Football season is here. The Frogs are out on the practice field. We've got a report on the first few practices that TCU is engaged in. And there's been a few things that have happened in the Big 12. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy Clark, are you ready for football season? Yeah, it was fun getting out there on Saturday to watch this thing. Man, I, I cannot wait. We, we're less than a month away, boys. Yeah, we are inside of a month, and after, um, which we'll talk about in a second, weeks of realignment, over a year of COVID, um, you know, a handful of fans in the stadium last year. I know, I know that uh, things are still a little uncertain, but at the same time, I cannot wait for football. It's got to be more engaging than it was last year. So we're ready to uh, get into the 2021 football season, and I feel like the Frogs are in a pretty good spot to compete for the Big 12. Not that there's going to be a Big 12 for that much longer, as we know it. Uh Jeremy, let's just start with this. We don't have to walk through the the all of the implications of re- realignment because there are many. But what was your thought when you saw it finally happen, that Oklahoma and Texas were leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC, initial thoughts when all of that came down? Now, just like everyone else, I was completely shocked. I mean, you're talking to a guy that was at Big 12 Media Days less than a week before, and none of that was getting talked about. And then less than a week later, you're hearing all these reports and then everything comes to fruition. And obviously, Texas and uh, OU are now going to the SEC, but complete shock, man. I don't th- I don't think anyone except people that are really closely tied in with Texas and Oklahoma knew this was coming. Um, maybe A&M, depending on who you believe, because people believe A&M leaked the whole deal. But uh, yeah, just complete shock from everything. Yeah, I will admit I was shocked for for two reasons. One, that it had been worked on that long and kept quiet that long. And I I do think it might have been A&M that leaked it. But the other thing that that shocked me was, you know, we we had had this 12-team playoff that was pushed forward. And the irony is Bob Bowlesley, the head of the Big 12, and Sankey, the head of the SEC, sat in that room and worked all this thing out with Sankey has got a dagger that he's sharpening this whole process to stab him in the back. And I thought that the, the the 12 team, six conference titles guaranteed in the playoff was actually going to cement conferences as they are. Because, you, I mean, I can, you know, people say, oh, we want money or we want better home games or whatever. Do you think Texas had a better shot at getting the big into the big into the conference, into the playoff in the SEC or in the Big 12, Jeremy? Which of those two seems more likely for a program like Texas? <laughs> Big 12, without a doubt. I mean, they they struggle winning in the Big 12. And it's just like what Steve Spurrier said the other day. I guess if you're going to be consistent in losing, why not do it in the SEC? But um, I, if I'm Sarkeesian, I'm kind of thinking, man, I hope I hope we get to play in the Big 12 for a couple of years before we get moved to the SEC. Because, I mean, that's a big jump. I mean, if you look at A&M, the way they've recruited, uh, it took them basically nine years to be relevant in the SEC. And Texas fans are going to argue that you know, this is going to help our recruiting classes. It's going to help us better get uh, bigger name recruits. They've consistently recruited in the top 10, top 15. I think a few years ago, they had a top five class and they, they still weren't very good in the Big 12, weren't very consistent. So I, if you're going to make more money, go for it. I think we all know this is college football's just, it, it's a money scheme. I mean, money, it, it, it all goes behind the mighty dollar. Uh, I, I know, obviously, fans like like you, like me, uh, we we want to see your programs do well. And I don't think Texas is going to be really doing really well. I think it's going to take a while for them to be relevant. Now, OU, I think they they've got a uh, a better hill to stand on. They're they've been successful. They've always recruited very well nationally. But if I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm kind of like. Man, I'm I'm sitting here leaving a conference where I consistently, uh, am uh, I'm finishing in the top two every year, and now I've got to go compete in the SEC. But this might just be the start of what we see five, ten years from now, Jeff. I and mean, we we very well could be looking at a gigantic super conference where it's not even under the NCAA. You could have forty teams that have their own little college football, and they have their own little playoff, and NCAA is over other schools that are left out, not not the true blue bloods and not teams that are uh, making money. But I don't like the way college football is headed. I, I don't mind the players getting paid and all that good stuff. That's fine. NIL is fine. But 
I just don't like this direction. And everything has just happened so quick. I can't imagine what some of these uh, athletic directors and coaches are thinking right now. And man, for Gary Patterson, you know, TCU related, I, I think he's pretty glad that he's in his 60s and he doesn't have to deal with this much longer. No, I figure Patterson is glad to be on, on the back half of his coaching life with, with NIL, with conference realignment coming at him again. But I, you know, I still am kind of in shock that this whole thing happened. You know, it's it's the best team. This is the irony. The best team that the Aggies put on the field in the SEC was a Big Twelve roster. You know, I, I if, if there was a playoff in 2012, I don't know if anybody could have beat Texas A and M. I mean, to be completely honest, I think Texas A and M was. I think that's the best team they put on the field. Better than that team last year that. That was I know only had one loss, but I I would I, there's six or seven teams that I think could have beat them outside of who they played. I'm gonna it's gonna be a long journey for Texas, and what we know about Texas boosters, they just have a ton of patience, wait and see. They don't make rash decisions. They don't pass the hat to make a knee jerk reaction after one bad season. Didn't that sound about right, Jeremy? Yeah, you'd probably have to ask Matt Brown, Charlie Strong, Tom Herman. I mean, <laughs> the list goes on. I mean that. There's, <laughs> there's no patience down in Austin, my friend. They'll be running, they'll be running Chris Del Connie out of there next if the coaches don't get their jobs done. I mean, it's the the, the booster, the boosters do not like uh, having patience down there. Well, here's the f- closing thought. Uh, well, two closing thoughts. First one: anybody that tells you they know exactly what's going to happen for the eight teams that are left, they are lying. You know, I've heard some things. I know you've heard a couple of things. There, it's just it's going to take a long time, and the idea that it's going to uh, get sorted out in the next few weeks, I just don't believe that. And that's connected to the idea that I think Bob Bowlesby is going to milk Texas and Oklahoma for every single dollar that he can get. I don't think the Big Twelve will be reconstructed with the eight teams as is, with two or four more teams. But I do think even if the conference dissolves and some people go west and some people go to the Big Ten or West Virginia goes to the ACC, Texas and Oklahoma are going to pay some serious bank that is going to get divided up between the other eight schools. So that's one thing on the Big 12 uh, realignment that I think is worth noting. It's going to take some time. And the second is, Jeremy, who are you more excited to see after they beat Texas at a post-game press conference? Mike Gundy? Or Gary Patterson, who has already got drafts in the, you know, way, who's got quotes in the drafts, notes that they've written down to unload on the press when either Gundy or Gary Patterson uh, beats Texas this year, as they tend to always do. Well, for me, I gotta go with I'm gonna go with Gundy. He tends to uh, make a little more more noise out there, so I think Gundy's gonna pop his mouth off a little bit. Although Gary, man, he's always good for one or two. He'll make some comment about uh, you know beating Texas is like dating your girlfriend, but then she asks you out to prom and you say no, but you end up going with her sister or something like that. I never quite know how all that stuff works. But sorry, um, I, I was on mute, Jeff. Sorry, but okay, I feel I picked it back up for you. All right, who's, <laughs> I, who's, I agree. Who's I agree with you. I agree with you. I think I think both of them will kind of pop off. I think Gary's more guarded about what he's going to say, and we have seen him go off in the press before, especially after um, one of those Baylor games. I think it was what twenty fifteen or twenty four. One of those years, twenty thirteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen. That's what it was. And then uh, two thousand six after Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, we will never forget that one. But both of them, I think both of them will have a a few nice words to say if, if they go out there and win. Um, I don't think Texas is going to be getting any favors this year. And, and I'm one of those guys that even though I keep hearing that there's commitment to stay at least through two, 2024, I, I just don't see it. I think both Texas and OU are going to be gone out of the Big 12. They'll play obviously this season, maybe 2022. But, man, I just I don't see them sticking around the Big 12 by the, by the time 2023 starts. I, I really think – um, this four-year agreement, or wh- however long they're going till what twenty-five, I don't think I don't think either one of those teams are going to make it to to the Big Twelve that long. I think they're both going to exit, and like you said, the rest of the eight teams are going to get a little bit of a payday remaining from that. And hopefully, uh, TCU lands on its feet. I think they're setting themselves up uh, to be in good shape. Uh, we, you and I, have heard all the rumors about 
Pac-12, uh, four teams going, maybe a merger. Uh, I I do know that uh, TCU is is I did a story on it I think a week and a half ago about how they've kind of set themselves up. They've been in this position before. They've played on the West Coast. They've they've done a a lot of really good things with um, not only the the football program but the basketball program with the facilities and everything. The school upgrades. Um, they they've got a, a a pretty good athletic budget, and I think. Uh, when we look at all this, it's going to be football. It's going to go come down to football. I don't think the religion, uh, affiliation, anything like that is going to have a lot to do with it. It's all going to be about viewership, how much money you can bring to the conference, uh, and, and what can you really do for the conference. And I think TCU uh, being in DFW is going to be a really good spot for them to, to whoever they're talking with. And uh, the fact that they've spent over $400 million in facility upgrades, TCU's, I've said it for I can't even tell you how long TCU is more of a national brand than it really is a brand inside the state of Texas. And when you look at those things, I, I still think they're going to, you know, end up pretty good no matter what conference they go to. I, I don't see them going to the AAC. I do st- see them um, still remaining in a, in a prominent conference somewhere in the Power Five. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to remain in the some some form of uh, automatic conference, some sense of power conference, whether it's power four, power five. I think TCU is going to be in a pretty good shot, spot for that. All right, let's go ahead and take a look around uh, the, the practice that you were able to attend. You've got reports from what you saw at practice as well as information that you're able to cultivate. Jeremy, you ready to take us inside of what's going on in the preseason for the Frogs? Yeah, let's do it. Ask away and We'll, we'll comment on uh, what I can, and I won't comment on what I can't. All right. Well, let's start with the only question I have. Let's start on the offensive side, and let's start with the offensive line. I've got a million questions that will tell me what I need to know, but let's start with this. I want to know about Wes Harris, and then I want you to give me some hope on the offensive line. Well, uh, like I said on the practice reports, it's really tough to get a good gauge on how good the offensive line is going to be when they're out there in basketball clothes. Um, they have their helmets on, but they're not doing any kind of contact. And it's really hard those first two or three days of practice, because if you don't have contact, you can't really see uh, who's, who's punishing defensive ends, who's punishing defensive tackles, who's creating run lanes, all that good stuff. And I even asked someone out there yesterday, if, if the offensive line and defensive line does one-on-ones, because we saw obviously the receivers and DBs going at it. But without pads, they don't do any of that. They don't want themselves getting hurt. And one person even told me there's only so many drills they can do up before they get to, to wearing full pads. So basically yesterday was just kind of an evaluation of not who was looking good because you can't really tell. I mean, body-wise, you could say, hey, uh, uh, Eze looks good. Um, that's how you pronounce his name. Not easy for those who were listening. I figured found that out on Saturday. Um, Wes Harris, to answer your question, Jeff, he was working with the first team at right guard. He's the strongest player on the team. Someone told me that he is uh, so strong right now. He's He should be primed to have a pretty good year, just stay healthy. Right guard, Andrew Coker. Center was uh, big Steve Avila. Left guard was John Lance, but I still think that position's up for grabs right now. But it's it's so it, – again, I, I can't tell you – I can't – talk people off the ledge who are really concerned with offensive line right now because we don't get to see a lot of it when they're just out there with helmets on. Um, so sorry I can't answer your question fully. I'm sorry I can't uh, help you uh, relax with the offensive line, but I still feel that they're going to be really good. Uh, they, they have about six or seven right now from what Coach Patterson says that they're real comfortable with. They need to get to 10. I think guys like uh, Tyler Guy still going to be a kid that emerges. Marcus Williams is working – Second-team left tackle yesterday. Brandon Coleman was working second-team right tackle. Garrett Hayes was getting in there. Coy McMillan's a senior now. He's He's got a lot of leadership, got a lot, a lot of experience. You have Blake Hickey out there, another senior, really strong player. Uh, Garrett Hayes, uh, up-and-comer. Mike Nichols was working at right tackle. It, there's, there's just a, a lot of good uh, size at the position and more experienced than what they've had in the last couple of years. I think if you look at the starting line, there, there is a lot of game experience there. So that's a good positive to have. But right now we just uh, probably, I'm probably going to be like you, Jeff, and, and figure it out when they go out there against Duquesne and, and see how, how good they've improved. Well, if you tell me, you tell Duquesne. So exactly. 
we'll keep that info to ourselves. All right, let's go to where the Frogs have to have one of the best units in the country, and that's in the backfield. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've seen at the running back position, what you've heard, but let's start with this question. Is Zach Evans really checking in at 212? Yeah, I mean, he's he's big. I mean, it's kind of like the the offensive and defensive line right now with the running backs because you're, you're talking again about another position that deals with a lot of contact. You can't see them run through a, through a lane, bounce off a tackle and and go 60 yards for a score. So really what we saw yesterday with the running backs, they would do some receiving drills. They were doing a lot of screen drills. Uh, it, it is funny because you see Zach Evans and Kendra Miller in there. The only difference with those two is the numbers. Zach Evans is listed at 5'11", 212. Kendra Miller is listed at six foot two fourteen. So you're talking about basically two twins right there. They both do a really good job of catching the ball. They they get upfield fast. Uh, they're really athletic. I, I'm I'm really excited to see both of them. And, and even Amari Amari's gained some good weight. If you haven't looked, Go Frogs has updated the roster. I'm probably going to do a story on it um, to run Monday with with a lot of the updated weights uh, with all these players. Max. Is up to 214 now. He's listed at 6'2", 214. Um, he's gained 13 pounds since the spring. Everyone sees how much bigger he looks. Well, he's up, he's up to 214. So they just did these weights. They, they weigh him at the beginning of fall camp, and then I think they'll do it again at the end just to kind of see how their weight fluctuates. But the running backs, I think, are going to be extremely extremely good. DeMarc Way wasn't out there. He's still kind of uh, rehabbing that knee, I think he's going to be fine once the season starts. He'll uh, and he should be out there within the next week or two. But they weren't really using him a lot yesterday. Um, but when you look at Zach Evans and Kendra Miller, there's going to be a great one-two punch. And for those that want to know Zach Evans, they they kind of did different uh, Pascalis. They would do team. Um, they would do uh, kind of a middle drill, half Skelly, and. I'd say a mixture of those. Sometimes you'd have Zach go out there first. Sometimes it was Amari, and sometimes it was even Kendra. So I think when you look at how they're going to be utilized this year, Zach's going to get the most carries, but I wouldn't doubt that Kendra is going to be right there behind him, and Amari's going to be the kid that won't get as many carries as those two, but he's going to see some playing time because he's probably the best pass protector and, and they're going to want those guys out there as much as they can protect Max. Max needs all the protection he can get if the line's not playing well. So Amari would be that guy, but running back looks very solid right now. I have a feeling the frogs are going to be able to run the ball better this year than they have in years. We have the, the most stacked backfield that TCU had in memory as well as I think an offensive line, as you described. We may not feel like we know much now, but I, I don't want to be sarcastic, sports radio guy. It can't be any worse than it's been the last couple of years, and I feel really good about who's stepping in. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, the running, why I agree with you, Jeff, is because that vertical game. They struggled a little bit completing the pass yesterday, but I could promise you there are some serious weapons that could get downfield, whether you're talking about Quentin Johnston, whether you're talking about Savion, Mikael Barkley, I mean, I, I wrote about him yesterday, but Mikael Barkley just – he does something in camps, and, and I'm trying – I'm scratching my head. I ask people, what what is it that he's not he, – why can't he do this on the field? Why can't he do this in a game situation? And uh, I asked Coach about it yesterday. He said he's got to get off press coverage, got a little bit of things to work on. But he's exciting, and you get a guy like Quincy Brown that takes the top off the defense, Darius Davis. Tay Barber, uh, there's there's even even Blake Knoll. He's he's not really talked about, but he's pretty fast. Marcel Brooks, they've got a, a ton of speed. They've got a ton of size at receiver. They've got like five or six guys that are over six three right now at receiver. And a cut when you look at that starting offense, it was funny yesterday watching the first team offense go. And uh, you have one guy that's you have Quentin Johnson at six four. Then you had uh, Chase Curtis out there at one point and, and Jaquarius Spivey. They're both 6'5 at Y. And then you have at, at H, you have a guy like, or uh, uh, yeah, it was H. Spielman was out there working with him. And then you have X with Savion Williams. And he's 6'5. So three of the top, three of the four receivers out there are basically 6'5, 6'4, 6'5. There's a lot of athleticism there. So, when you talk about the running game and you talk about 
them creating lanes with the offensive line. They did a great job of doing that last year. But I think the fact that they've got some receivers that, that can take the top off the defense, and if Max hits a couple of those guys a few times a game, that's going to help the running game tremendously. And, and in the end, if you got the running game going, uh, you can keep the offense on the field. I know some fans don't want to hear that. They want to score at will. But when when you have Gary Patterson as your coach, Jerry Kill, they they believe in a uh, a run run offense, trying to balance it out, love time of possession, and if that gets you wins, then I don't I don't see how anyone could be arguing it. Well, you roll right into what I wanted to talk about next, which is our. I think the frogs are going to have the ability to throw the ball downfield. You said rip the top off. I think that's going to be possible this year. But let's look at one of those weapons that the the frogs were learning to utilize. With, you know, Pro Wells, especially this last year. Jarquarius Spivey. I remember his recruitment. I remember how he ended up at Mississippi State. And I kind of watched how he got processed out at Mississippi State. And to be honest, between you and I, it's hard to believe, but I thought Mike Leach was a little shady for him. Rumor was he was going to Arizona State, but next thing you know, he pops up on the Go Frogs roster. I, you know, I remember when we were on this podcast talking about Spivey's recruitment several years ago. How did he end up at Fort Worth? And what do you think he's going to be able to do? What's going to be distinct about him in this offense, especially with those sides and those in that hands, and what he's going to be able to make happen? His his recruitment was pretty uh, pretty funny. I mean, in, in twenty eighteen, we all thought he was going to go to TCU, and at one point, his coach told me he's he's going to go to TCU. But Mississippi State State came in late. He had a really really good relationship with the coach that recruited him there, um, and he ended up going to Mississippi State and. I believe I can't remember the coach's name, but he ended up at Florida. And Spivey almost went to Florida, but it kind of ended up being he didn't want to go that far from home. Um, stuck it out at Mississippi, at Mississippi State. And was that when Dan Mullins left Mississippi State? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he when he uh, stuck it out at Mississippi State, here comes Mike Leach, and like you said, Mike Mike Leach, his offense wasn't really designed. Uh, for, for a guy like Spivey, I mean, they really didn't know what to do with him. And Spivey decided he wanted to go to Arizona State. And he was actually talking to TCU at that point, too. Um, this was something that was kind of under the radar for about a month uh, that they were talking with. And, and and even when they had the kid, the Aaron Hackett kid, they knew they weren't going to take Hackett. Spivey was, was, a, was a kid that became available. So Arizona State and TCU were ta- talking to him, and he decided he wanted to go to Arizona State. Well, then – you start hearing about all those sanctions and everything else that Arizona State's about to have. Well, he decided, I'm finally making the right decision. I'm going to go to TCU. And from all indication, I've talked to a few people that are close to him, and he loves TCU. I uh, said it was the choice he should have made out of high school. As far as the talent goes for him, I would say he's a legit 6'5". He's probably about 240, 245. He reminds me a lot of Artavius Lynn. Um, I think he's a really good blocker. And also think he's a good receiver. I think he probably will have the best combination of doing those two things. Uh, you got a guy like Carter Ware, who's more of your your blocking tight end. Uh, DJ Rogers, uh, sorry, DeAndre Rogers is going to be more of your pass receiving tight end. I think Jasper Lott could be a, a kid like uh, like uh, Spivey, which would have a good combination of being able to block and 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 catch the ball. But Spivey, it, it, it's funny because they lined him out there. Uh, sometimes at slot, then they brought him in, lined him up closer like an H back. They're, I, I believe they're going to try to utilize him as much as they can, as, as as long as he learns the offense. But he's a good weapon. Uh, he 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 definitely looked like he fit in out there yesterday. And there's a couple times if he had number eighty eight on, I would have thought it was Lynn because he's almost the exact same size. He's 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 got a great build. He's a little bit taller than Pro Wells. I, I wouldn't say he's he's quite as fast as Pro was. Um, he's he's more athletic, like. Artavius, but I think that was a good good find for them, and and I think he's going to really have a chance to do some things this year. Someone asked how many catches are the tight ends going to have, and I and I said maybe twenty five as a group, twenty five to thirty five. I I still don't see that changing. Someone had mentioned with with Spivey, it looks like they could have more, but I don't see that changing right now, especially with the guys they have at slot with Tay Barber and J D Spillman and Darius Davis and. Not to mention the guys they have at X and Z with with Quentin and and Marcel at Z, and then you've got Savion and Mikael Barkley and and Quincy Brown at X. You have a lot of weapons to choose from right now, and and really I don't know how much they're going to utilize 
the tight end, especially when they got other guys that are six five. Chase Curtis is another guy that could be a weapon for them. Well, let's go to where it's all going to begin and end this year, and that is the quarterback. I know we put up. I know we talk about the offensive line. I harp on the offensive line, but we need a quarterback play that is at a level that it has not been at since 2017. What do we see about Max? Not just in that moment, but you you you've you've been able to pick up on some things that that Max has done. This is his first real full off season. This is uh, he's put on a lot of weight. I was able to see him up close a couple weeks ago at the camp you were covering. He looks thicker. He looks faster. His arms seem stronger. Tell us what we should expect at quarterback depth and quarterback production at the top of the chart for the Frogs this year at quarterback. Well, that's tough because it, it's just one practice. And like I mentioned on the board, that one practice, I, I've seen Max throw better. Um, he actually uh, – <laughs> I don't want to say he looked bad. He didn't look great. He didn't look as he didn't. Let's just say he didn't look like he does when he plays against Texas. You know what I mean? He didn't had have that kind of. It's <laughs> a great line. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't have that uh, kind of accuracy. And one on ones, he did throw the ball well. He he laid it up for the receivers good. Um, when they went more into a Pascali, which when I mentioned Pascali, it's more of a seven on seven. They did a half Skelly and then they did a, a full uh, Pascali. I would say during the the full Pascali, he struggled a little bit. He was making quick decisions, but either the defensive backs knew what routes the the receivers were running. There was a couple times where the receivers were running the route and the defensive backs, especially uh, Hodges Tomlinson. I mean, that guy was playing so great yesterday. I mean, he he looks really awesome. Um, and now I'm hoping I'm not jinxing him because if he looks bad, everyone's going to come back and say. That one practice, you said he looked great, but that's the same thing when I say with Max. You know, two years ago, they had an open practice. Alex Delton goes out there, sets the world on fire. Every single media member, the coaches were hyped up. I mean, he had a really, really good practice. I, I think I even mentioned it on the board, man. Alex looked the best, but we all know how that turned out. So I don't want to put too much emphasis on how Max threw um, for just one day yesterday. Uh, he's clearly the starting quarterback. So any notion that Chandler Morris or Downing's going to beat him out, just throw those out the window. That's that's not going to happen. There's not going to be a battle for the starting quarterback position. Now, playing behind him, second string, that's more of a battle because yesterday it was uh, Chandler Morris, Matthew Downing. You'd see some sets, like I mentioned, with the running backs. You'd have Downing go out there first behind Duggan. Other situations, you'd have Morris go out there. I would say Moore struggled a little bit more during the Pascali. Uh, him and Downing both struggled uh, more than than what Duggan did. Uh, matter of fact, Morris threw an interception and Downing threw an interception. I think Nook Bradford, Nook Bradford intercepted both of them. Um, but I would say if Max goes down, it's probably not a good thing right now. Those other two got a lot of growing up to do. Sam Jackson, he has a, a, a ton of talent. I love it. We've heard about the release even – Coach Patterson says the guy has the quickest release of any quarterback I've seen here. That was very evident. He's He throws a really, really good ball. He's just got to get more weight to him, got to become a little bit more durable. I will say this. This is the smallest quarterback unit I've ever seen at TCU. And when I say that, I'm not talking they only got five, six scholarship quarterbacks. I'm saying they are small. Like Max is 6'2", 214. Then you have Chandler. Who's listed at 5'11, 185? He's probably, or 5'11, 175. He's probably closer to 5'10, 175. Sam Jackson's listed at 5'11, 185. He's probably closer to 5'10. Matthew Downing's about 5'11, 205. And then you have Alex Honan, who's 6'6, 247. They updated that. He's, he's gained 17 pounds since January. So he looks really big. And then you have Trent Battle, who had switched to running back, was going to play running back, but he's now back at quarterback. He wants to, he asked if he could at least try out for quarterback again. He was working mostly scout team. He's around 199 right now. But uh, I would say um, for, for a lot of people, I, I, I don't want to say too much about the quarterbacks because it's just one practice. And I'm not, I'm not out there just going to uh, dissect every single throw Max had and, and, and the other quarterbacks. I will say that it, it's, it is funny because I mentioned this on the board. When he throws to Quentin – 
you're you're basically throwing a perfect vertical ball. When he throws to Quincy Brown, he's under throwing them. But it it that's just the difference in in the receiver. So it's all about getting that timing down, getting getting the speed aspect of who you're throwing to. Uh, he did good throwing over the middle, and 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 I think it was it might have been Chandler that had that really good throw to Marcel Brooks that was over the middle. Marcel Brooks went up and get went up and got that I was talking about, but I can't. I mean, I don't want to say too much. If, if now if he goes out and they stink against Duquesne, they stink in the the first four games. Then obviously that one practice was very indicative of how the season was going to go. But I I just really don't think it is. Well, I have a feeling we all know how, what's going to happen. I think Max is going to take off and he's going to set himself apart as he has. And I think he's going to have, have a heck of a junior year. So he's going to be healthy. It's going to be good to go. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. I made a comment on the board a couple of weeks ago that uh, people surprisingly agreed with because usually I just kind of talk shit on there. Um, but oh. I, <laughs> I said the team is our team is only as strong as our second team defensive tackles. When you look at when the Frogs have had uh, just quality teams, it's the defensive line, especially the defensive tackle, has a lot of depth. I think this year's defensive tackle is as deep as it's been, again, since 2017. Jeremy, from what you were able to see out there on, at the field as well as what you're hearing around the program, walk us through what you, what you are seeing at D-Tackle and why Frog fans should get excited about that. Uh, I love D I love the D-Tackle. Uh it's eight deep right now, which is probably the deepest it's ever been since I've covered them. Uh, you're talking about a, a unit that has great size, great athleticism, and great experience. You've got uh, a fifth-year senior in Terrell Cooper. You've got a fifth-year senior in Corey Bethley that are going to be your starters. A fifth-year senior in Kenny Turner that's going to be a, a five-year guy. Uh, Patrick Jenkins had a great year last year in, in his true freshman season, came on strong. Uh, Jaquay Sorrells is a guy that people have talked really well about uh, throughout the program. And he, he, and you know what? He did a really good job of taking offseason serious. I mean, that kid, I saw him up there every, every single fall camp or uh, summer mini camp that I went to to cover. He was there. He was there working it. And that's good for, for two reasons. You get to see what he looks like. And number two, it gives you a chance to know that, guess what? He's in the coach's good graces. They don't let any of those players come out there and work with those high school kids. You've got to be a trusted a trusted kid, and you've got to be a good representative of, of their program. And that's what that's what Sorrells is right now. He, he seems to be getting it. If you guys remember, last year I talked about it. just didn't seem like he was dialed in. Man, I might have missed home. I don't know. But he seems more dialed in right now, and a lot of people are just, just saying that he this is just – the tip of the iceberg for him. He he's going to have a great career if he just does things the right way and keeps working on the path that he's on right now. Uh, Earl Barquette is another guy that was you know he, he you got to look at last year. He came in, played well when he was given the opportunity. Sony Missy is another player. He's probably not as athletic as the rest of the group, but he's he's a he's a he's a gap plugger, man. I mean he he's a big bodied kid and. Uh, I, I think uh, you you may not have a, as much playing time, but you know if you can s get that guy in and, and let him play, if the, the other guys need a, ch a chance to take a break and get their legs fresh, then they trust him to go out there and, and make plays. But defensive tackle, man, I just – I love how athletic they are right now and, and the experience. And I got to say, it's, it's probably the most impressive uh, that I've ever seen them have since I've covered the team. Corey Bethley healthy? Yes, Corey Bethley. Did I mentioned Corey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm I, missing someone. I miss, I mentioned seven. Uh, George Ellis. Is George oh, Ellis. George Ellis. Yeah, George. Sorry. Yeah, George Ellis, George Ellis was actually running with the first team yesterday um, since Terrell Cooper's not out there. But, uh, yeah, and it's just – and George Ellis is another fifth-year senior guy. So, you've got a lot of guys that have game experience under them. They've been in that system for a long time. And, hey, they're seniors and they're they're ready to go out with a bang. Well, where we are going to see some changes that are going to be eye-popping, defensive end. So uh, you and I both posted a picture of the, the size of our defensive ends, and what was missing was the freshman All-American. Walk us through what you're seeing at the defensive end position, What who may be a projected sp a starter, and who is making some noise that the Frogs might not have been expecting. 
Well, it's funny because when we went to Big 12 Media Days a few weeks ago, someone asked someone asked Coach about Kyrie Coleman. And he said something for about five seconds, then he immediately went into Dylan Horton, unprovoked. I mean, he just starts talking about Dylan Horton. So we should have listened to him a little bit more then because he didn't come out and say Horton was the starter or anything, but he was saying Horton's the guy that had a really good spring, has had a really good offseason, really good summer. And he, he pointed at O'Shawn Mathis and he said, see that? See O'Shawn? Dylan looks almost just like him. We've got two really long athletic defensive ends. And so we get out there yesterday and lo and behold, Dylan Horton's working first team defensive end at right side. And it's not really surprising because, like I said, if you listen to Gary, he was pretty much telling us what to expect without telling us what to expect. But he's very athletic. I mean, we both saw him in person. Dylan's quick. I mean, you're talking about a kid that played safety in high school, so you know he's got a little bit of speed. He kind of reminds me of a not not quite as big as Ben, but that kind of athleticism. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and get 10 sacks, but the defensive end position between Mathis, between Horton and, and Coleman, I mean, you're talking about three of the better defensive ends, uh, especially with Mathis and Coleman, uh, in the Big 12. And I think Horton's going to be a kid that a lot of people are talking about by the end of the season because he's he's going to help out. He's going to be able to get more numbers because people are going to be focusing more on Mathis. Now, we'll say this about Coleman. Coleman's not a great practice player, but that's what we saw last year. He wasn't starting right away, but once he got into in there to the games, we saw a difference. We we immediately within the first few snaps, Coleman's getting a tackles for a tackle for loss. And so it's still the same kid. He's still between 225, 230, still looks very athletic. He's going to play a lot of football. Those if anything, so what if you don't get to start the game? You're still going to play. Those defensive line, they try to rotate as much as they can with they want to have a rotation of eight to 11 players between your defensive tackles and your defensive ends. And right now I could say without a doubt, they've got at least, at least 12 guys that can come in there and make plays. Colt Ellison, he didn't, he didn't start off the year really great, finished strong. And he's having a good spring right now. He was backing up uh, O'Shawn yesterday. So I think defensive ends going to be just fine, but it was kind of surprising. I'll admit it, it was kind of surprising to see Dylan out there starting, especially after the year Coleman had. But again, I, I still feel really confident Coleman's going to have another good year and he's going to be playing a lot of football. When we go to the linebacking crew, we know that D. Winters is going to once again be an anchor at linebacker. I, I saw him up close. That kid is getting bigger. He continues to be quick. I think we're going to be expecting big things from D. Winters. But there's a there's another linebacker that you say is uh, is moving right up the depth chart and maybe competing for that second starting spot. Tell us what you see as the second starter opposite D. Winters, as well as a few guys that might be seeing the field. I'm thinking about Wyatt Harris. I think there's some other guys that may be getting out there. Maybe it's Van Zant coming back up to play linebacker. Tell us what we see at the depth chart as well as our number two starter. Well, you remember when we were out there Friday at that mini camp and we saw this big player and I didn't know who he was. And I was like, I've got to find out who that kid is, who, who's helping out here. And I asked one of the coaches and they said, it's Jamoy Hodge. And do you remember, you remember that conversation when we saw that was Jamoy Hodge? Yes, I do. And I was like, uh, he will be hard to keep off the field this year. Yeah, well, you're right. Because right now he's starting alongside D winners. Um, Hodge is extremely athletic. He's about six two, almost six. He looks more. He looks closer to six three to me. He doesn't. D's listed at six one, six two, and he's a little. He's taller than D is. Um, but he's pretty athletic. I mean, he he he's he's very uh, physical. Uh, he moves side to side pretty well. When you watch that pass, Skelly, you don't you don't get to see how well they tackle or anything, but you get to see how good uh, they recognize things and how good they go side to side, how good they can cover. And he does a pretty good job of that. I, I think he has pretty good ball instincts. Uh, he's he's pretty smart uh, as far as uh, gauging where a play is going to be. There was a couple of times yesterday where he did a really good job. and Chad Glasgow was giving him praise. Now, I'm not going to sit out there and say that he's the unquestionable starter when they, they start the season because I think Wyatt Harris is still right there with him. Wyatt's another big kid. He's 6'3", 230 himself, and he's athletic. and if you if you look at the bright side for for TCU defense, 
you have at least three of those guys that they feel like can make plays. Winners, Hodge, and Harris, they feel comfortable about. They've got to find a, a, another guy, a fourth guy. And yesterday, that was Shad Banks. Shad Banks is – he's – the roster I had uh, that was given to us before the practice, he was listed at 230. And this is why I know Go Frogs is updating all their weights because now he's listed at 250. I was going to say he looks closer to 245 to 250 than he did 230 pounds that I saw on the roster. But he's another kid, you know, for, for a guy that was playing receiver at A&M uh, just a few months ago to come down to TCU, transition to linebacker. It really, linebacker is one of the harder positions to learn on TCU's defense. They have so many reads they have to make, so many calls they have to adjust to. and He's a freshman. He's learning. He wasn't perfect by any stretch yesterday. But there were some things that he did that showed showed me that he might be all right at that position. He might it it might be a, a, a great move for him, not only for his future, but man, financially, because you're talking about a guy that has great size. He's 6'1, 250, but he doesn't run like he's 250. He runs pretty dang well. It's 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 crazy. It's like I was telling someone, remember, remember Chris Farley? how big Chris Farley was and yeah, oh, that, yeah, that dude could do cartwheels and everything else. It's like, how the hell does he do that crap as big as he is? That's like when I'm watching banks, I'm like, how does he move like that? He's two fifty, but he, he moves so good. Uh, like, like Hodge, he made a couple plays yesterday in Pascal where Glasgow was praising him and, and he did a really good job. And it's, it's, it's funny because it was a position that I was heading into camp. How, how the heck are they going to replace Garrett Wallow, but when I'm watching him yesterday, and Garrett was a great player. I loved watching him play. He was always around the football, but he wasn't perfect. But the guys that they have coming in, they're not perfect yet either, but I still think they're going to make a lot of plays between Hodge, Harris, and even if Banks has to get in there. Winners, winners is winners. Winners looks so comfortable out there. He looks he he spent a lot of time upper body this year. This summer, that dude, that dude was working his upper body because he looks, he looks Really fit. Uh, when you look out there at the linebackers between him and him and Hodge, I was sitting there talking to someone yesterday and thinking there might not be a better athletic looking uh, duo of linebackers in the Big Twelve right now with Hodge and Winters. I mean that physically they they are really really impressive. But it was one of those positions where I had big concerns going into the into fall. But after watching those guys yesterday with their athleticism and the way they were able to read things in just the second day of practice. I feel a lot more comfortable. Well, let's go back to where the frogs are going to be real, re, both rebuilding a little bit and possibly having the best duo in the country. I know Noah Daniels is still a little banged up, but it looks like he's going to be good to go for the season. He opposite Trey Hodges, Tomlinson, uh, Multiple publications list TCU as having either the number one or the number two best set of cornerbacks in the country, not the conference, the country. And at the same time, the Frogs are going to be rebuilding in the rest of the defensive uh, secondary. So go ahead and, and give some praise to Noah and to, and to Trey, and then walk us through who you think are going to be the starting three for the rest of the defensive backfield. Well, Noah... Unfortunately, he wasn't out there yesterday, so we didn't get a chance to to see him go through things. I asked Coach about him after practice, and he said he's close, but they're they're not pushing it yet. Um, Trey, I mean, I said it pretty much in the practice report I did. He is playing with so much confidence right now. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do. And like Winters, Trey spent a lot of time this offseason in the weight room. He's he's gained a lot of good muscle. He looks fast. I mean, he looks extremely quick. There's not. There's not a, a – I can't think of a better combination uh, for a corner in the Big 12 that has his, his ability to turn and run um, combined with his strength. Because there was one point yesterday he was guarding Savion Williams one-on-one, and they weren't letting him press cover. They don't they – don't, TCU doesn't allow press coverage very much. You, if you're going to play corner at TCU, you, you better be able to play on the island. You better be, better be able to turn and run with receivers. And, and take away one half of the field, basically. And with Trey, that one play, Savion runs off the line, and the punch that Trey gave Savion knocked him completely off his route. I mean completely off. It, it was it was within the five-yard minimum, and it was just so so funny to see because 
Trey's not a very big guy, okay? Trey's 5'9", maybe 5'9 on his tiptoes. I don't know. Savion's 6'5", but when you see a guy that does not back down from that kind of receiver, you know you have something. And there wasn't one, there wasn't one time where Trey was, was beat. And someone made a great point on the board. Savion needs to cut in line, do whatever he needs to do to go against Trey every day. You hear the old saying, iron sharpens iron. That's that's going to help Savion no matter what when he has to go against Trey every day. Um, playing with so much confidence, I, I feel great about his ability. Noah wasn't out there, so CJ was out there. CJ Caesar. CJ had some good plays too. If, if you look at last year, who led the team in interceptions, Jeff? Do you know? I believe it was Caesar. Yeah, it, it was CJ. Yeah. I don't, yeah, it was I don't, CJ. I don't think Trey had any interceptions, and I don't think Noah had any interceptions. So I, I, I think CJ ended up with what four interceptions on the year, and he had two against Louisiana Tech in the season finale. But he's yeah, he, I think he had a. Did he have a big one against Oklahoma State? He got burned early and then made up for it late. Oh yeah, he sure did. I know, yeah. I know, uh, I know. Trey had that big interception in the in the end zone when they were driving late. I loved watching that. But I, I think Caesar had an interception against uh, Spencer Saunders as well in the Oklahoma State game that really kind of cemented the rise of the end of the season, beating them. Yeah, and just like Trey, man, CJ's playing with a lot of confidence too. He's out there having fun, and uh, like I mentioned on the practice report. There was a in Pascali, there was a in Haskelly and full Pascali, there was a lot of verticals. I mean, there was a lot. CJ comes running off the field, a coach is like, Yeah, they're getting your work today. And CJ's just like, Man, they won't stop throwing verticals on us today. And he's he's going, he's tired, heavy breathing, but he's out there doing his thing. He was out there getting some getting some good plays. He had a couple pass breakups. I'm I'm really comfortable, just like linebackers, Jeff. I I'm becoming more comfortable with the corners. The two guys that I would say impressed me because I'd never seen them before in person was Amante Watkins and Keontae Jenkins. Watkins, and I'm pissed off at myself because I didn't get a chance to go down there where they were to get pictures. But I'm just telling you guys, Watkins physically is impressive. I mean, that kid looks he he does not look anything like he did in high school. It, it's it's crazy. He's he's spent the whole summer in the gym. I don't, I don't know how much he weighs. I'd have to go look at the roster. But I'm, I'm telling you, he's he's 5'10", he's 5'11", he's probably at least 185 to 190. He looks solid. And man, I'm telling you what, for a kid that played more running back in high school, for him to go out there and play the way he did yesterday, he's he's looking really good. I He had a couple of pass breakups as well. He does a great job turning to running one-on-ones. He, I think he got beat one time in, in one-on-ones, but Overall, he's a true freshman. He's playing against some some older guys, and he had a really good uh, uh, play. I think it was against, I think it was against Mikel Barkley in one on ones where he broke up a pass. But Jenkins is another guy that we didn't get to see last year because he was battling injuries. Didn't get to see him in the spring because he was still held out. But he looked pretty good yesterday. There was a couple times where Jeremy Mopkins was really just running across the field, praising him. You're talking about a guy that reads very well. It's he he he's one of those corners that I could see that's throughout his career he's going to be known as a guy that will bait quarterbacks because he was baiting those guys yesterday in Pascali uh, and he had a he had a really good play where he broke on a ball extremely good I think it was a, a pass to Spillman and man just the way he broke on that ball he comes in flying breaks it up ball goes flying in the air and Bud Clark's able to get the interception but it was a really good read and just really. A, good overall play by Jenkins to, to just be there. Um, but he's not small either. I mean, I, we had him listed at 5'9", 170 something. I think he's probably closer to 180 now. So he's gained a little bit of size. Uh, Marvin Covington. Marvin was more the, the heavily recruited guy of the 21 class at corner. I would say he had a, a, a good and bad day. There was a couple plays that, that he made and there's a couple plays where Jeremy Mockins was getting all over him. And I got to say about Mockins, man, Mockins, it's funny because I, I saw, you know, his his path from uh, just being an assistant to to being more of a, a guy that recruits on campus, more of a GA, and and going into that cornerback role as, as a coach. His first year, he wasn't very vocal, but, man, just watching him now, 
he's he's so good with those kids. He 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 tears them down, but he'll build them right back up right away. If he yells at a kid, you won't. It won't take two or three minutes for him to go over there and explain to the corner what he's looking for, why he's why he's getting the way he is, why he's staying on top of. Him. But man, I'm telling you right now, it, and it's that way with a lot of those young coaches. Man, they got so much adrenaline. They 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 just they're so positive out there though too. They they just really. Yeah, for anyone knowing TCU football and, and, and looking at their coaching staff, just just understand that they have some really really good young coaches. But cornerback Jeff, like linebacker, I'm long I'm long winded here, but I feel a lot more comfortable at cornerback than I did um, two weeks ago. Promise you that. Whenever I hear Mikeins, I only think of one word: Who next? Who next? That's all I want to know. Whenever I see who next, I go straight to the board and see who committed. Who next? Who next? Well, we have walked through both sides of the ball. The good news is we are oh, wait. basically – I, I, Go I ahead. I to interrupt you. I forgot to talk about safeties. Oh, that's right. You I was did. so long-winded. So You're just so kind of <laughs> Give it to us. You know me. I don't have those little one-minute answers. Just to get, Based off yesterday, you had, uh, you had McEwen starting at free safety. You had – TJ Carter at weak safety, and you had Van Zandt at strong safety. Um, I still think there's a battle at each one of those positions. Uh, Bud Clark had a good practice. Nook Bradford had two interceptions. And the younger guys, you had Armstead working at free safety. You had uh, Perkins McAllister working at strong safety. The the guy I love that's out there, Michael Onye Miyobi, Yo-Yo. They call him Yo-Yo. The fact that he's even out there just practicing after what he he basically had the same injury as Justin Rogers. For him to be out there just going through everything, turning the way he is, he looks he looks good, man. He he looks like he's running really well. Um, but the path that he took to get back there, just being on the field, man, props to him. Cause man, that's that's a that's a good story. It's a good story waiting to happen. I hope, I hope beyond anything that that guy finds a way to get on the field and makes a play this year. I want to see Yo-Yo out there. Obi-Wan Yo-Yo Kenobi. I hope he gets <laughs> well, you have walked us through both sides of the ball here, Jeremy. Good news is we've got a lot of podcasting in front of us. 2021 season is basically here. You should uh, start expecting to see us in your podcasting feed consistently moving forward. Jeremy, any parting thoughts before we wrap up this show? Uh, all we did was uh, set the starting lineup and rearrange the Big 12. But other than that, anything you got? Well, they did pick up a couple commitments here recently. Yeah, we snagged a kid out of uh, uh, Neville. Tell us a little bit about him. We both saw that running back yeah. up close. That is a that is a steal. What did you see? Yeah, I'm glad someone else was someone else was there to see this because you were kind of the guy that was watching him first, and you were kind of like that kid looks pretty good. And what about three minutes later, Jerry Kill comes over there and he starts talking to him, but um, it it's crazy that they find these guys still and AJ Allen, no one really knew about him because he was, he was a running back last year at Neville, but he wasn't the star guy and COVID that's a perfect example of a kid slipping through the cracks because of COVID coaches, not being able to go out there and, and, and have in-person evaluations, them not being able to come on to campus uh, and visit last year. You, you had a good guy like uh, the the Will Campbell kid that's an offensive lineman there, but who's watching that kid? Everyone already knew that he was a stud. He's a five-star. No one's watching that kid anymore. They already know what they got. So really there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on to even find A.J. Allen. He only went to one camp. I think he went to Monroe, which what fools are they for not offering that kid when he went to camp? I mean, I, I can't believe he went to Louisiana Monroe and did not get an offer in his own backyard. Um, but he comes to TCU, runs really fast, runs a four three six, runs a four oh nine shuttle, which was more impressive to me. But even more impressive, almost has thirty seven inch vertical, so you know he's explosive. You know that forty time with that kind of vertical, you know that forty times pretty legit. Um, but he looked extremely well in the uh, the running back drills. And what what was pretty impressive to me, Jeff, is the kid worked out in the morning session, took a break for what two hours. And then he worked out in the evening session. So by the time we, by the time we saw him uh, late in the evening, he's doing one on ones. Kid had been out there all day long, 
And what was different about this camp compared to the others is you had a camp uh, with almost 400 kids at each session. And when they have that many kids, guess what? You can't have that camp in the in, in, indoor, sandball indoor facility. Me and you were all walking around. You, you were checking on me, making sure I was okay. We're outside in the heat of the day. So those kids in the morning between, what, 11 and 2 o'clock, they're out there in 98 degree weather and just working their butts off. And this kid does all that. Then he turns around and gets back at the camp and, and starts going at 5 o'clock. And he's out there running in, in the stadium one-on-ones, beating defensive backs. And after they did their background check and, and knew the kid um, was good academically, you, you get to that point and it's like, how in the world? Because I watched this kid. I watched him on, on film. And I just I text a couple people down in Louisiana. Did this kid push a kid out in, the, in front of a car? What, what's the deal here? What, what is going on? How is this kid not getting interest and the thing that was told to me COVID man. I mean, you, they just, no one had a chance to get eyeballs on them, except Monroe. They, they, they missed the ball on that because uh, they should have offered. And it's probably a good thing they didn't because he, he might've, he might've just stayed at home and uh, committed to the first one. Because when you got a, a kid like that, that has absolutely no, he had one offer from an FCS, but really no interest from a big school. TC had never talked to him before. He went up there and met Brian Applewhite, fell in love with Brian Applewhite. And his good buddy, uh, Jadis Richard, just committed uh, a day prior to the visit. And, uh, you know, rest is history. Talked to his mom and decided, hey, I'm going to go to TCU too. I'm going to be a running back. And someone was talking about Chris Hicks uh, committing to UTSA. And I haven't posted on that, but Chris Hicks, once AJ Allen committed, Chris Hicks didn't have a, committable offer to TCU. So good choice for him going to UTSA, but AJ Allen, I I feel if he has a good year, the, the only direction he's going to go is up uh, just a huge steal for them. Yeah. When we watched that kid work out, I thought, you know, is he committed to Mississippi state? Is he committed to Ole Miss? Is he, <laughs> uh, you know, seriously, or did Arkansas jump on him early? But when I found out he was from Neville up there in Monroe and, and essentially had no Division One offers, I was like, that kid's not going to get home before he gets an offer from TCU, and they're going to lock that thing up. What's – you know, it, it, it's crazy because they they still find those kids, and, and one person told me um, out of all the running backs they had at camps this year, they had five camps um, with running backs at them. They said he was the best one. So pretty, pretty good uh, compliment for that. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good compliment. All right. Anything else on commitments before we wrap up the show, Jeremy? Any, any we might be expecting in the next week or two? I still think Jalen Gilbo is a really good possibility. Um, I mentioned on the board. I don't. I don't think A and M is in a position where they they want to take him. They feel like they're pretty good uh, in pretty good standing with that Humphrey kid. And um, that's not my opinion. That's that's coming from people I trust that uh, are in the A and M uh, corner. Uh, Barry Ann Brown, uh, TC's working them, guys. I mean, that's all I can say. TC's working them. Um, in no way am I ready to put in a crystal ball for TC or anything like that. But I know TCU's in a battle. And, and obviously, Alabama's a, a big battle. Receiver going to Alabama makes sense. But TCU's got a pretty good connection going with their Tennessee guys. TJ Carter, um, Diarco. Diarco's really good friends with Barry Ann. And uh, Jock, uh, Jock being on staff now being that uh, he has a Tennessee background, it's going to help him. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put it out of the realm of possibility that they could get him. There's there's a confidence there, but not a overly confidence there. If you get what I get what I mean, um, they I they, I they feel like they feel like there's a chance, but uh, no way is anyone ready to say that he's going to be going to TCU. Well, when things break in the next couple of days or next couple of weeks, we will be here to cover all of that here on Horn Frog Blitz. 
All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, you need to go to TCU 24-7 Sports, hornfrogblitz.com, and you can stay connected through our message board. All the info that you just heard, you would have known about it a couple days earlier if you're part of Horn Frog Blitz, as well as all the breaking news around recruiting, maybe injuries, maybe depth chart, everything that's uh, trending up or maybe a point of concern. You're going to find all of that inside information like no other place here at hornfrogblitz.com. Also, if you haven't yet, subscribe to us in your podcast pod, podcasting app of choice. Subscribe to the Frogcast. We would love for you to give us a rating, a review. You see us on social media, give us a like, give us a retweet, give us a share. We would appreciate that, a way to get the word out about what's going on here at Horn Frog Blitz as we are going into our sixth season of covering the frogs. How crazy is that? So until we get back together again, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. Mm -hmm.